0: Let us pray. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to study your word. Lord, the hour is late. Keep us awake. Keep us fresh. And Lord, let the word come alive right now. That we would have a newer, deeper understanding of your truth, of what you expect of us, Lord, and what you're trying to do with us and through us. Bless those that are still on their way, if there are any more. Uh, but Lord, we ask for an outpouring of your Holy Spirit tonight. Our prayer in Jesus' precious and holy name, Amen. So we're going to talk about Moses tonight. Moses, as you know, grew up here in Africa. He grew up in Egypt, and the Egyptians were brilliant people. The ancient Egyptians, their um, their generals, their scholars, they actually went to school for forty years. You graduated with your degree after forty years, and then you began to do the work you were supposed to do. It was a very religious society, and hence all the hieroglyphics, the sphinx, and all the things that you see. Um, There was a hierarchy of the richest, the wisest, the priests, they had more clout than others. Um, They had a strong written language of hieroglyphics, as I've mentioned. Um, And Moses probably would have had to learn hieroglyphics as well as learning other languages. Like I said, he would have been educated until he was about 40 And he graduated from there to do his work. To understand the story of Moses, you have to understand that when his sister Miriam followed him down the Nile River, took him up out of the water and gave him to Pharaoh's daughter, she was really doing God's work. Because she was able to go back and get Moses' biological mother and bring her to nursemaid to raise Moses. What that did is, His mother was able to tell Moses that he had a charge on his life. I want you to get this. From Moses was a little boy. On the one hand, his real mother, his biological mother, was telling him that one day he would grow up and liberate or free his people. On the other hand, his adopted mother, Pharaoh's daughter, was raising him to either be Pharaoh one day or to grow up and be a general or a high-ranking official in government. Moses had a dichotomous upbringing. It was was split because he was getting two sets of messages when he went off to school to learn in his grandfather's um, uh, uh, kingdom about his role. He was learning about Ra and Set and all these other Egyptian gods. His mother would be telling him about uh, Jehovah God, the God of the Hebrews. Now, what was interesting is that Moses... Got into trouble. We'll we'll come back to the verses on this. Because when he turned 40 years old, he believed it was time for him to fulfill his mission. So what Moses did is, he saw an Egyptian striving against a Hebrew. And Moses, as you know the story, Moses jumps in and he kills him. This causes Moses to have to flee. So the first 40 years of his life, he spends in Egypt. The first 40 years of his life, he's being trained to be a professional, a leader, a future uh, prime minister, as it were, a general. The first 40 years of his life, he's getting mixed signals from the gods of Egypt and the god of his mother, the god of the Hebrews. But the second 40 years, Moses is stuck watching sheep. 40 years. And what we're going to talk about tonight is the re-education of Moses. What was God trying to accomplish by allowing Moses to go through that first 40 years at the secular universities? What was God trying to accomplish by making him be trained to understand the way the Egyptians think? And then what was the second 40 years? Why did God allow that? And and in that second 40 years, I believe, Moses was re-educated. And there are reasons that God wanted to do that. So we jump into the story in Exodus chapter three and verse one, and this is where Moses was keeping Jethro his father-in-law's uh, sheep. And Jethro was the priest Midian. They knew who God was, the Midianites. And he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. Horeb, all through the story of Moses, is called the mountain of God. Moses takes the flock around the back of the mountain. It's a mundane, regular, everyday thing, like you go into class, Get up. You go to class. You probably get to class some days and don't even remember how you got there. You're just so used to doing it. Moses was so used to messing with these sheep, it was just mundane. He was just doing what he's supposed to do. In verse two says, "And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush." was not consumed while moses is going about his everyday business he goes around the back of the mountain and there's a bush burning but the bush is not being burned up the bush is not being consumed this is an abnormal thing moses stops to take a look at this bush and moses says i will now turn aside and see this great sight why is it that the bush is not burnt? why isn't the bush being consumed And when the Lord saw that Moses turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And Moses' response was, here am I. So you got it, he's just going about his business, doing what he always does, walks the sheep around the back of the mountain, there's a bush burning, but the bush isn't being burned up. Moses says, wait a minute, I need to look. When he goes over to check on the bush, out of the bush, God says his name twice. Moses, Moses. Now, there's a whole lot of folk, if the bush started talking, that would have been the end of the story, they'd have took off running. But Moses stays there and says, here am I. Verse 5, he says, and he said, draw not nigh the hither. In other words, don't come any closer. Put off the shoes from off of your feet. For the place whereon you stand is holy ground now the ground wasn't holy by default the ground is holy because God has visited the ground, you get that? the ground is holy because God is there in other words the church building as sacred as it is and as respected as it needs to be if you can pull four people aside in your room in your hostel and you begin to have worship and prayer and praise uh, and God shows up which he says he will Where two or three are gathered in my name, he says. There am I in the midst of them. If God shows up in your room, the room itself takes on sacred meaning. Are you getting what I'm saying? Sometimes we think we can't see God, we can't meet God, unless we come to a place like this. I'm challenging you that you're not a Christian if the only place you think you're going to find God is in church. Sometimes in life, You've got to have burning bush experiences. you got to find God where no one else expects to find him. In situations where no one else is looking for him. God speaks to Moses in verse 6. He says, I am the God of your father. The God of Abraham. The God of Isaac. The God of Jacob. Moses hid his face. For he was afraid To look upon God. I'll give you a few lessons tonight. Critical lessons for you as Christian college students, university students. The first lesson is this one. Miracles are often found in the mundane. Miracles are often found in the mundane. What does that mean? Sometimes the miracle isn't in you packing up and going to go on a mission trip Uh, You know, to some far off land to go with some people away in the distance. Sometimes the big miracle happens right where you mind your sheep. Sometimes the miracle happens where nobody expects it to happen. Sometimes the burning bush will appear in your hostile while you think you've got to go around the world to see a miracle. Sometimes the miracle just happens because you're being faithful in doing what God has told you to do. And if you do it consistently and faithfully, God will bring the miracle to you. A lot of times nowadays what we have are people who are like, you know, they call some, well in America, we call some lawyers ambulance chasers. Because they're looking for an accident and they chase the ambulance. Hey, we're going to sue whoever did. Some folk are miracle chasers. They're constantly looking for a way to find some place where they're going to have a better experience, or where they're going to be more of God. And what I'm telling you is that if you will just follow God consistently, forty years Moses was out there watching those sheep. A whole lot of people would have said, "I'm royalty. I was raised in Pharaoh's house. I'm not watching sheep, wasting my life away." And they would have walked away from the mundane, from the ordinary. And in walking away, the miracle would never have happened. Sometimes the miracles happen in the mundane. So going back to Exodus chapter 2, here's a story of Moses. It came to pass when Moses was grown. This is when he was 40 years old. that he went out into his brethren and looked on their burdens. And he spied an Egyptian smiting a Hebrew, one of his brethren. This is his kind of his origin story, how he comes out of Egypt. And he looked this way and that way. And when he saw that there was no man, he slew the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. Now, this might sound crazy, but I'm going to say it. Moses was gangster. Moses was a rough dude. And you know, he was a tough dude because Moses had a criminal mind. The Bible says Moses didn't just kill a dude. He looked this way, looked that way, made sure there were no witnesses. Are you getting this thing? Then when he killed a dude, he went, what did he do? the man in the sand like a mobster he was in the mafia he went and buried the dude in the sand so the next day he comes out behold two men two Hebrew men are fighting against each other verse 13 of Exodus 2 says and he said to him that that did the wrong wherefore smitest thou thy fellow and he said who made thee a prince and a judge over us intendest thou to kill me as thou killest the egyptian and moses feared and said surely this thing is known now when pharaoh verse 15 says now when pharaoh heard this thing he sought to slay his grandfather. the man was his adopted grandfather began to look to kill moses but moses fled from the face of pharaoh dwelt in the land of midian and he sat down by a well Now, here's what's crazy about the story. And this speaks to something I like to talk about when I speak to populations that that sometimes have suffered oppression. What's interesting is that Moses made sure there were no witnesses in murdering the Egyptian. The only other person in the story that would have witnessed Moses kill the Egyptian is who? It's the man he saved. You got to get this. The only other person that could have seen what happened was the guy who Moses jumped in to stop Egyptians from beating. Now, that guy was so messed up. He was so, so uh, a victim of colonization and slavery that when he went out, he must have been the one who snitched on Moses. Think about that for a second. Moses, the Bible makes it clear, Moses tried to check to make sure there were no witnesses. Now maybe there was another witness not mentioned in the story. But based on the story, the most likely person to have given Moses up was the very man Moses went to help. I warn you, as you stay in God or leave God or go around the world, be careful that the devil does not pull you into the trap of self-hatred. The devil does not make you think that you are less than because you because of where you come from or what you look like or or or, or what languages you speak or don't speak. I, I challenge you to make sure that you don't snitch on the very person who's trying to liberate you. Maybe he went around it the wrong way, but we have a problem with that because many of us we've been we've been trained to believe our beauty standards that come from somewhere else fairer skin and thinner lips and thinner noses and straighter hair we've been trained to believe those types of beauty standards but but i want to submit to you that you've got to understand that that your value in god is priceless so valuable are you that christ died for you he not only made you the way you are he died to save you the way you are The second lesson is this one. Difficulties often create the best classrooms. Sometimes the best lessons you're going to learn. Moses had some lessons he had to learn. He was going to learn them because he was sent out into the wilderness. Ellen White says in Patriarchs and Prophets, page 247, she says, In slaying the Egyptian, Moses had fallen into the same error so often committed by his fathers of taking their own hand, in their own into their own hands the work that God had promised to do it was not God's will to deliver his people by warfare as Moses thought but by his own mighty power that the glory might be ascribed to him alone yet even the rash act was overruled by God to accomplish his purpose Moses was not prepared for his for the, for his great work he had yet to learn The same lesson of faith that Abraham and Jacob had been taught. Not to rely upon human strength or wisdom, but upon the power of God for the fulfillment of his purpose, of his promises. And there were other lessons that amid the solitude of the mountain, Moses was to receive. In the school of self-denial and hardship, he was to learn patience, to temper his passions. Before he could govern wisely, he must first... Be trained to obey his own heart must be fully in harmony with God before he could teach the knowledge of his will to Israel by his own experience he must be prepared to exercise a fatherly care over all who needed his help man would have dispensed with that long period of toil and obscurity deeming it a great loss of time but infinite wisdom called him who was to become the leader of his people to spend 40 years in the humble work of a shepherd Moses had been learning much of that, of that much that he must unlearn. Moses had been learning much that he must unlearn. So God sent Moses into the wilderness to watch sheep, to do something mundane. Let me tell you something. Some of you, you I know when I was in, in university, when I was in college, there were times when I wanted to give up. I got tired of studying science. I was a biology major, a chemistry minor. The people that were studying other subjects, I won't name any because somebody might get mad at me, seemed to have so much more free time. They seemed to be able to enjoy life. They were watching the Cosby show on Thursday night. They were they were going out on dates. They were Saturday night. They were all my friends were gone. I was in the dorm by myself studying. It was. I, I got to the point. I remember in about my junior or senior year at Oakwood. I, I said, "Man, this is this is this is horrible. I can't do this anymore. And never mind, go to medical school and do this for four more years." I said, "Lord, I am losing my mind." And then, and just then, the federal government sent um, some people from Washington D.C. to recruit on our campus to pick up from us. Um, uh, uh, federal firefighters the f- people, I, I didn't even know they existed but these are people who joined the fire department for the United States government like for the federal government and they were going to pay $70,000 a year sound like a lot of money huh that's good money to cover right out of college and I was so tempted I was I want you to hear this young people I was tired of watching cheap I was tired of the Monday. I was sick of studying, sick of the books, tired of it. I did not want any more time to study and best to prepare for and papers to write. I was sick of it. I was sick of paying tuition, sick of working to pay, help me pay for school. I was sick of being a burden of my poor mother. I wanted out. And boy, that $70,000 job, that seemed like God was throwing me a lifeline. <laughs> Just grabbed hold and seventy grand. I was, I was raised poor. Seventy thousand dollars was like a fortune to me at the time. But there was much God needed to do with me. He wasn't ready for me to leave the sheep of the <laughs> the sheep of the classroom, <laughs> the sheep of the study, the sheep of the lecture hall. In fact, I would go on to complete another almost twelve or thirteen years of school after that. Not including the two residencies I completed. I became basically at some point a professional student. Literally, I mean, I I was in school forever it seemed. You know, I tell you that because some of you are going to get tired. You're going to get, this this going to school thing is going to get overwhelming. But but I'm here to tell you that, that you can't give up before God is done with what he's trying to do with you. Moses had to spend the 40 allotted years in the wilderness before he could move on and do something else. And let me tell you something, what I learned in all those years of school. I learned to trust God. Y'all missing this thing. You see, had I left school and joined the federal fire department, I don't know what fires they fight, but I don't know where they'd have sent me, maybe to some national park, and I'd have been sitting in a, in a treehouse watching the forest, Waiting for something to start burning. I have no idea what I would have done. But for $70,000, I'd have probably bought a Sega Genesis and sat up there and watched. But my point is, that's not where God wanted me. And I talked about this last night. You can't settle for good. God wants greatness out of each one of you. He said you ought to be the head and not the tail. So I know you get tired. I know how ridiculous it seems. But first of all, some of you need to spend some more time in school because God is expecting some stuff from you. Some of you, it'll be very appropriate for you to leave school. But one of the things God is doing for many of you like he had to do with me is there's a lot I had to unlearn. When I got to college, I I did so, I did very well in high school. I did well my first year in college. I thought I was the smartest thing since, since somebody invented sliced bread. But I had to learn the hard way going through all those years of school, especially in medical school. I went to school, everybody was a genius. Everybody was smarter than I was. And in a moment, I began to learn, I'm not going to get through the other side of this four years if God is not the center of my life. Are you getting this? He wants you to unlearn some things. Ellen White says the habits of caretaking, of self forgetfulness, and tender sol- solicitude for his flock thus developed would prepare him to become the compassionate, long suffering shepherd of Israel. No advantage that human training or culture could bestow could be, substitute, could be a substitute for this experience. Some of you are going through some hard times. You got to go through school, it's getting difficult. What you're going through, trying to figure out how you're going to pay your tuition, some of you trying to figure out how you're going to buy your next meal, some of you are going through some hard times. I want you to understand that what you're learning now is to trust God in small things because one day he may actually give you, to get, allow you to be in charge of some big things. What you're going through now and learning to trust God as to how you're going to pass the next exam, how you're going to find your next meal, how you're going to pay your tuition the next semester. All that you're going through now is God preparing you for greater work later on. Don't give up on God when he's training you. Verse In chapter 3, verse 6, it says, Moreover, he said, God says, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face. For he's afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I've surely seen the affliction of my people, which are in Egypt, and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters. For I know their sockets. Verse 8, And I came down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land unto a good land and a large and unto a land flowing with milk and honey unto the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, and the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites now therefore he says behold the tribe of the children of Israel is come up unto me and I have also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppressed them. He says come now therefore I will send you unto Pharaoh that you may bring forth my people the children of Israel out of Israel. The third lesson I want to give you is one that I had to learn the hard way. This one Says what you were trained for may not be what you were called for, and I want you to understand that some of you are studying all kinds of things. I've met some of you that are studying business, law, accounting, botany, agricultural sciences. I've been I've been keeping track of what you guys say you're studying. I've been listening to what you're saying. I think it's great. Some of you want to go on to be doctors. Some of you are going to be lawyers. God bless you. I want you to get this lesson though. Whatever profession you wind up in may not be the fullness of the calling God has on your life. When I was in high school, I did not want to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. I was raised Adventist. I told you last my mother was Adventist. And I didn't want to preach anything. In fact, when I was about 16, my pastor came to me and said, One day you're going to preach the gospel. You're going to preach all over the world. I said, man, I will never preach. He said, "Why not?" I said, "Man, you lose cool points preaching." I said, "I want to be cool, man. No girl looking for no preacher." He said, "You're going to preach one day." I said, ah, I'm going to be a doctor. It's more dignified. And I went off to Oakwood and I started studying science. I studied hard, like I told you. But when I I actually signed up for a black history oratorical contest, and I went to read. A paper i wrote for history class i thought the paper was the best paper and i was just going to read it and i would win the oratorical contest then i get in there and these guys are preaching and you know they know you guys they're they're preaching preaching and um i just stay closer <laughs> they're preaching and they're carrying on and they're having a good time and i said i can't go in there and read a paper man i'll put everybody to sleep off the top of my head, I got into the pulpit at this oratorical contest and I just began to speak my story, the things that I'd been through, the racial prejudice I suffered in high school, which was very bad. And I, I spoke about all of these things from the heart and the hope I had um, in, in learning more about my culture and my people and, and on and on. And when it was all over, people popping and I won second place in the contest with a talk I gave off the top of my head. I was then recruited into an organization and we traveled all over the United States called Dublin, Speeding and Black. We traveled all over the United States preaching, doing skits, talking at academies, talking at churches. And I got into the preaching work by accident. Like I, I never met, I just stumbled into it. And I kept going to be a doctor, but what I want to tell you is, I know now, looking back on my life, that God called me to preach. And just because some of you aren't studying theology, doesn't mean that one day you're first elder at a, ch- you're not going to be involved at a church and need to lead in the preach teaching a Sabbath school classes, and on and on and on. Many of you have been called to do stuff you don't even think you're going to do, because I think I'd ever do it. That's the third lesson. What you're being trained for here in school, stuff like botany and accounting and agricultural sciences and law, are amazing things to study. Some of you will one day help to finish the work by bringing the gospel around the globe. Amen? And Moses said unto God, who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? Moses said, who am I? Because that's what some of you are going to say. Why should I be the one doing it? Let me tell you something. I said this to them in Kumasi. One of the most difficult things for me to do is to preach the word. I don't like preaching the word. I enjoy preaching the word in a sense, but another part of me, every time I go to preach, the devil begins to try and remind me of how unworthy I am he's always trying to tell me you you don't deserve to preach. what are you doing preaching you haven't lived an exemplary life you haven't lived a perfect life look at all the mistakes you made enemy tries to remind me of my past to tell me how unworthy I am and I'll have to admit it's, it's humbling I I don't get a big head about preaching I know I know a lot of preachers who do they have really big heads over there preaching because they get a lot of accolades and they get a lot of props and they get a lot of attention but I, I don't believe I don't buy into any of that stuff and I tell you why because that's some of the worst sermons I've ever heard I when they, when we're going out of the church I've seen people telling the, the preacher oh, that was such a good preacher sermon pastor I said that that was a nursery rhyme what are you talking about so I don't I don't I don't take I don't take compliments and I don't take this is. I, I don't take you telling me I did good, and I don't take you do, telling me I, I did bad. I, I don't rate myself. I don't. I don't think about that stuff. When I get in the pulpit to preach, I ask God the message you have for your people. Put it out there. You know what you need them to hear. Let them hear it. Because I'm just a vessel, and and I don't want to get caught up in anything like that. And and one of the reasons Moses is so loved, and when you read Numbers chapter 12, God says that Moses is meek moses is humble and i say this all the time there's no such thing as an arrogant christian it's an oxymoron they don't exist by default if you're a christian you're humble you don't get a big head you don't have a big ego you're not narcissistic in how you treat other people or how you want attention for yourself christianity is really in its foundation the spirit of god Keeping you humble when everything else is trying to tell you to try and be big. God said, God certainly, God said Certainly I will be with thee, Exodus 3:12. This shall be a shall be a token unto thee that I have sent thee when thou hast brought forth the people out of Egypt. Ye shall serve God upon this mountain. And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel and shall say unto them, the God of your fathers hath sent me unto you. And they shall say to me, what is his name? What shall I say unto them? What's your name, God? God said unto Moses, I am that I am. That is profound. God says, I am. In other words, I just exist. I am. And this is one of the things modern science can't understand. The reason that evolution is taking hold in the world they don't understand that God exists, he just exists he exists at such a point that he doesn't even try to prove his existence so a lot of people say well if God is, God why doesn't he do this God-, God doesn't have to prove he exists the proof of God's existence is all around you in nature, in the complexity of nature in the beauty of nature it's all around you, God says I am and God said well uh, I am and he, he said thou Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am have sent me unto you. And God said moreover unto Moses, Thou shalt. Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, hath sent me unto you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial unto all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel, get them together. He says, and say I'll visit them and show them what is. And I've seen what is done in Egypt. Moses. Responds like many of us would respond. In verse four, verse one, behold, they will not believe me, nor hearken unto my voice, for they will say, the Lord hath not appeared unto thee. The Lord said unto him, what is that in thine hand? And he said, a rod. Cast it to the ground. The rod became a serpent, and Moses ran from the serpent, from the rod. The Lord said unto Moses, put forth your hand, and take it by the tail. He grabbed the rod snake by the tail, and it turn into a rod again. Verse 5, that that they may believe that the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob hath appeared unto thee. The fourth one I want to give you is this one. Every single one of you have the tools for success. And I'm going to break this down in two ways. The first one is, what is your purpose on campus? To understand that you have a job to do on campus. You're not just God has not allowed you to be at uh, what I've heard since I've been here is one of the best universities, if not the best university in Ghana, one of the best universities in all of of Africa, definitely all of West Africa. God has not brought you here, just soak up the grades and get ahead. God expects you to be missionaries on the campus. That means you need to be able to relate to people and get along with people. In fact, real missionary work as modeled by Jesus real missionary work as modeled by Jesus means that first you must make friends with people. I would ask you, because the fourth lesson is this, you have all the tools you need for success. On the first hand, in order for you to win souls for Christ on this campus, you know one of the most important things you need to to do? Just be friendly. Just talk to people. Never get in your mind that somehow because of who you are as an Adventist or, or in general, never get in your mind that you're better than anyone else. People will read that. And if they read that, who wants to join up with you if you think you're better than me? I challenge you to find a way. You know some of the campus ministries in the states that we're talking about some of the folks that actually even from here have gone to states and let out campus ministries at places like the University of Michigan. You know how they win souls? They do stuff like cooking healthy meals and having people try healthier food. Some of them have been trained in massage therapy and when the, when the exams are coming and it's very stressful, girls will take some of the girls and give massages to relax them so they'll study better for their exams. Some of the guys will give some of the guys uh, massages. They will do massage therapy to connect with people and not ask for anything in return. And they will do little things like this throughout the year so that they build friendships, so that the other students see them as people they can trust, that people have their best interest in mind. And guess what happens? So, when they're having a revelation seminar and they start inviting people, or a Bible lecture series, and they start inviting some of their fellow students, the students are much more likely to go because they're not just inviting them in a vacuum. They're inviting people that they've connected with. So my question to you, those of you who are mission-minded and want to win souls, are you connecting with people? Are you making friends with people? Because that's one of the ways that you're gonna win. So trust the fourth thing is, you have the tools you need for success, but not just, and we'll move on from that, not just in that realm, tools you need to be successful in life, in the work that you're heading, in the businesses you're gonna start. You have the tools for success. There was an article written, and it was describing the skills you need for hyper jobs. How many of you want to be able to work when you leave school? Nobody's raising their hand. Don't you want to get a job when you leave school? You must all be rich. <laughs> well, in the States, that hand, everybody's able to win. Because everybody wants a job, because in the States, you leave school with tens of thousands of dollars in debt, student loan debt. Most people, or many people do. So this article was written about how you find um, the skills you need for what they now call hyper jobs. These are the best jobs being created in the world, and they cut across all of your different um, areas of training. Number one, they want people who know how to do discovery. They want people who find the why of things in science or business or daily life. They want people who can say, this is why people buy coffee every morning. Because if I can tell Mm you why they buy coffee, I can get them to buy more coffee, which I don't want people to buy more coffee, but you get my point. The second thing is creativity. possibly something new in one's head. Can you be creative? Can you create new things? Can you imagine a new way to create energy? Implementation. Making the fruit of creativity real in the world. Some of you will make what someone else invented actually implement it so that everyone in the world wants to use it. Influence. Interacting with others to inspire, direct, or empower them. This is the work of a pastor. This is the work of a CEO. This is the work of a manager, a supervisor. Can you influence people to do more and be more? Physical action. Interacting with things or the body in mindful ways. These are medical doctors, dentists, engineers, mechanics. So those are the five big skills areas. But then there are three deeper enabling skill areas. And I want you to ask yourself, do you have these skills Are you ready to really get into a global workforce? Number one, basic mental skills, such as perception, classification, and emotional release. Number two, symbolic thinking and interpretation, including language, mathematics, and scientific notation. You have those. Look at the third one. The third one says responsibility, including global consciousness, ethics, and look at the last thing Richard Sampson, the guy who wrote this article, says, a religious sense. What many jobs are looking for are people who are ethical. People who care. People who aren't going to leave someone out on the streets. People who are going to love other people, who are going to care about other people, who are going to make sure that their corporate brand is protected. I'm telling you, you have the tools to be successful because many of you are more uh, morally give a strong moral compass that's something the world is actually looking for when they hire people because you're less likely to steal stuff or take a bribe or cut corners I challenge you look at those skills and see if you have them Moses said unto the Lord O my Lord I am not eloquent look how he doubts himself neither heretofore nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servant." Moses says, I'm slow of speech, I have a slow tongue. And the Lord said unto him, who hath made man's mouth? Or who makes the dumb or deaf or the seeing or the blind? Have I not the Lord? God says, listen, even your weaknesses, I'm in control of. Even your weaknesses. He says, so go. I will be your mouth. I will teach you what you should say. He said, oh, my Lord, send, I pray thee, by, thy, by the hand of him. Whom thou wilt send. And I want you to get this. Number five is really important. God works through our weaknesses. I want to tell you that I'm a medical doctor, I have a doctorate in public health, and I have, I, I think I've never been officially diagnosed, but I really think I have attention deficit disorder. I can't focus for more than five minutes on anything. Five minutes is a long time. Sometimes I really wonder how I got through school because. I have a hard time. And I don't, you know, maybe sometimes I use, but I could I I hate to say this. But I could cram for an exam probably better than anybody. Because once I got panicked over what I was going to do on the exam, guess what? The adrenaline rush I got worked like Ritalin. You guys know what Ritalin is? That's what we give kids with ADHD in America. It's an amphetamine, actually. And I would be able to focus and I could study all night Bam, and knock out a test. It didn't work so well in medical school, I learned, you better start cramming a few, few days to weeks early, but I was able to do that. I don't know how God was able to do it, but what I've realized is my weakness of, of having a wandering attention span is also why later on, when I had to multitask and run health department, see patients in a clinic, work as a doctor, a home life, preach, pastor, all at the same time, the same thing that was my weakness became a strength. Because I can focus on something for a short period of time and do it well, and then move on to the next thing. I'm going to challenge you that some of your weaknesses, if you properly deal with them, your weaknesses can actually be your strengths. Train yourself in your weaknesses to be stronger, but understand that what you think is a weakness, like sometimes you're too curious, you keep asking ask too many questions, you keep digging in deeper, and you you know your other classmates are like, Oh, shut up, stop asking questions. We just need to know this so we can pass the test. But that curiosity one day might make you an amazing attorney, amazing lawyer. Because you never stop until you get to the bottom of the question. God will work through our weaknesses because our weaknesses keep us humble, our weaknesses keep us connected to God. Our weaknesses allow God. To be invited into our situation. The Lord said unto Moses and Midian. Go return unto Egypt. For all the men are dead. Which sought your life. Number six. Trust God. He will deal with your fears. He will deal with your foes. He will deal with your enemies. Trust God to deal with whatever you're afraid of. I've talked to some of you and you're afraid. Some of you want to leave and go to Europe. Or North America and study. And you're afraid. You have no idea how God will get you there. Let me tell you something. If you trust God and it's his will that you get there, he will not only get there, some of you will go in a first class seat. Are you understanding what I'm saying to you? I I don't want you. You can't live in fear and and God fully use you. Faith and fear cannot exist in the same place. We talked about that earlier this week. I'm telling you tonight that if you trust God and if you're faithful to God, you keep his seven day Sabbath holy, you return a faithful tithe and offering. I know you don't have a lot of money, but that makes one tenth even smaller. Whatever little bit you have, return a faithful tithe. You know why you want to do that? Because the Bible says if you return your faithful tithe, God will open up the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that there will not be room enough to receive the blessing. Some of you have a whole lot of room to receive blessing because you ain't turning everything over to God. He says if you keep a Sabbath, he will cause you to ride upon the high places of the earth. I'm challenging you that if you're consistent with God right now in small things and how you keep your time and how you how you spend your money and in returning your tithe to him, if right now you're faithful to him in small things, he will one day give you big things to master. Trust God to deal with your fears. Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the others of the children of Israel. And Aaron spoke all the words which the Lord had spoken unto Moses did the signs in the sight of the people the people believed when they heard the Lord had visited the children of Israel and when they heard uh, and and the people believed when they heard that the Lord had visited the children of Israel and that he had looked upon their affliction I like this then they bowed their heads and what did they do they worshipped I want you to get this they worshipped God before they were delivered Did you get that? Some of you are waiting for victory before you shout. Before you thank God. Before you really worship. I'm telling you, one of the secrets to gaining victory is that you worship in advance. You thank God. You praise God before you get the scholarship. You thank God. You praise God before you get the PhD program in the university you wanted, wherever you wanted it. You praise God now that you get a good husband or a good wife later. Uh, so only one person said amen. I hope you find a perfect person. I heard a brother yell amen. All right, that's good. Are uh, you getting what I'm saying? The problem for some of us, our Christianity is mixed up so that what we do is we say, okay, I'm gonna thank God when I get what I want. I thank God in advance because I know He can give me what I want, but even more importantly, He'll give me what I me what he wants me to have so I'm okay with praising God now for what I don't even see and I'm challenging some. thank God in advance a couple last slides on education Ellen says our ideas of education take too narrow and too low a range there's need of a broader scope a higher aim true education means more than the pursuit of a certain course of study It means more than a preparation for the life that now is. It has to do with the whole being and with the whole period of existence possible to man. It is the harmonious development of the physical, the mental, and the spiritual powers. It prepares the student for the joy of service in this world, for the higher joy of wider service in the world to come. You're not just studying for today by God's grace, you're studying for eternity. The last slide is the scripture reading again. Commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. Commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. One of the founding fathers of the United States had a saying that nobody plans to fail, they simply fail to plan. You got to have a plan. Not to be with As I said earlier, I I thought for sure I would quit and give up on medicine. and I would have just jumped and done the fire thing, but I'll tell you what happened. I was contemplating taking that job and just getting out of school at, I'd have been 21 years old making that kind of money. I thought about the sacrifice my mother made to get me to school. I thought about the fact that my whole life, my dream was to be a doctor. And i had to ask myself the hard question you have to ask yourself this hard question sometimes is god really able to do what he says he's going to do has he put something on your heart propelled you towards something and and now it's sputtering now you think it's just too much i can't take it i don't think i'm going to be able to get where I, where god wants me to go and are you starting to give up before you really even begin to trust god I came to the conclusion my senior year in college that no matter what happened if God wanted me to be a doctor I was going to keep going through the doors as long as they were open until God shut all the doors and sent me through the window he wanted me to go through I I went through some tough stuff my senior year in high school I never really said this my senior year in, in college went through some big things, made some mistakes and While that senior year was going on, I didn't apply to medical school in time. Didn't do as well on the entrance exam for medical school as I should have because I was dealing with other stuff. I didn't know what I was going to do because now the job thing was gone. The federal firemen were gone off campus, hired whoever they were going to hire or whatever they did. And I was stuck trying to figure out what do I do with the rest of my life? I got in the mail or I was stuck up on the billboard or the, the, the stickboard at the biology department something that talked about a post-baccalaureate program at Wake Forest University in North Carolina I didn't know what I was going to do I filled out the paperwork and sent it in I thought I was done with medicine I didn't do well enough on my entrance exam <laughs> you know, I, I, I messed up in my application process and I thought it was done, I thought it was over I took that paper and I filled it out. I, I remember praying over the paper, asking God that if he really wants me to be a doctor, let this door open. Within a week or two, this this was back when Stale nails, was how they did all of this stuff. I got a letter in the mail accepting me into that program at Wake Forest University. But here's what God does: if you trust him, if you're patient, full scholarship, a living allowance. Housing, textbooks, and as long as I did well in the school, I had a guaranteed seat in Bowman Gray Medical School at that University. I was more than a door open. It was like the side of the house fell off. And I went there, and you know what was interesting? I went there, got involved with the local church, was preaching, doing Bible studies, And I realized God sent me there not just so I would one day be a physician. God sent me there because he wanted me to be involved in youth ministry at that church. And that prepared me for the youth ministry I would do later. Because I went there and I got straight A's at the time when I was applying to medical school the second time and get in the first time, I wound up getting a full scholarship to medical school at the University of Miami. And one of the reasons was the head of admissions didn't really want any more students from from our school from Oakland at the time he had a bias against Oakland but his daughter this is how God works his daughter had just been accepted to Wake Forest University to do her undergraduate program so he thought the world of Wake Forest University when he saw I had two two A's at the time it was the summer session that was done two A's in the calculus course I took at the school he wanted me, he, he he almost admitted me on the spot. I want you to get this. I was ready to give up. I was ready to go be a fireman. That would have been a bad fireman. I'd be like, the house is burning. I think I'm going in the opposite direction. What God did, you, are you getting what I'm saying? When I was ready to give up, God was just getting started to re-educate me, that it's not always in the order I want, it's not always in the way I want to re-educate Moses you're going to liberate your people, but not on your timeline, you're not going to murder and kill people and deliver uh, Israel out of Egypt I'm going to deliver them so I get the glory and the reason I will stand before you today, thousands of miles away from my home and preach this gospel is because I understand I'm not a doctor because of anything I did I don't have all the degrees I have. I don't have the experiences I have. I don't have the job I have. Nothing I have, I did of my own. I understand like Moses grew to understand, like Jacob understood, like Abraham understood, like Isaac understood. I understand whatever good I have, God has given me. And since God gave me all this good, I have obligation to give to somebody else. And it's not about me. Because I could have failed miserably, right? senior year, go on a different path and all the great experiences all the great work that God has allowed me to do in my life, I would have never done any of it all the lives, God blessed me to save as a doctor in clinical work, public health work all the good that I was able to do, I would have done none of it, except God was merciful to me and when I was lacking faith and ready to give up God opened up the side of the house so I had no door, no window, I just walked way he was sending it. It just made too much sense. And I want to tell you. God will re-educate you to understand. It's not by your might. It's not by your power. It's by his might. It's by his power. It's by his spirit. That he's going to deliver you. That he's going to do the great things you want done in your life. But you've got to stay faithful. With the sheep. Are you getting me? Moses would never have been who we know as Moses. You know how old Moses was when he died? 120 years old. He started his ministry at 80. 80 years old is when Moses started his ministry. Some of you, God has great plans for you. But Moses isn't Moses if he doesn't watch sheep for 40 years. My point is, the big things may not happen in 5 years or 10 years. Stay faithful with the sheep. On campus, as part of this fellowship, I want you to stay faithful with the sheep. I want you to invite people to Bible studies. I want you pushing for God's kingdom. I want you working on his behalf. If he can trust you in little things, he will trust you in big things. So I'm going to make an appeal tonight. I'm going to make an appeal asking you to be faithful with the sheep that God is putting in your life. What do I mean by sheep? The people around you that you can befriend no strings attached so that one day you'll be able to influence them for the gospel of Jesus Christ I want you to be faithful in the small sheep of your studies in the mundane aggravating way that you gotta go to class all the time and teachers are rough on you, I want you to stay faithful with those sheep I want you to stay faithful with the sheep of this fellowship I want you all to be unified I want you to trust God. And I want you to take care of each other. Are you all okay with being faithful with the sheep? Stand with me as we close in prayer. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for these young people. These precious souls, Lord. Lord, they are covered by your hand and you've put your word in their mouths. Lord, it's been a long day for them. It's late night now. Father God, here they are. Standing to say, Father God, they're going to be faithful in the little things. They're going to mind the sheep of Jethro in their lives. So that one day, Lord, they can be called to liberate Israel. Lord, many of them are going through things, Lord. Financially, they're struggling. Food, for some of them, may not come as easy as it should. That's the life of college, Lord, we know, but but Lord, some of them are worried about exams, tests, papers that are due. They're worried about being able to keep the Sabbath as they matriculate through the school. Lord, they've got issues and challenges. But Father God, tonight, I want to pray a special prayer of commitment over these young people. I'm going to pray, Father God, first that they stay committed. That they become more committed. And if they're not committed, they become committed a prayer, a special prayer of commitment over them that you, Lord, would commit them into your care. That the angels that excel in wisdom and strength would be given charge over each one of them. Father God, the work that you have for them, not just the profession that you have for them, but the work that you have for them in the building up of your kingdom, that Lord, they would be ready and apt. They'd be sharp tools to do that. Father God, help them to realize that you can work through their weaknesses and all the tools they need, they have. and their miracles in the mundane. Father God, teach them to worship you now, even before the big break happens. Father God, ready them to finish this work in this corner of your With Our prayer in Jesus' precious and holy name. For the church say amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse